Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about diversity and inclusion in financial services. We've taken a break from our usual schedule to curate and create a mini-series designed to help our listeners during these challenging times. And where better to look than to some of our previous guests, experts in their own fields. You may remember our guest, Andy Gibson, head gardener of Mind Apples, from a previous episode where we talked about cognitive diversity and mental health. And Andy, welcome back. It's wonderful to speak to you today. Uh, we're having a chat over Zoom. So thank you for joining us. Thanks very much for having me back. Wonderful. So, so on the podcast, uh, we talk about the future of work and we consider the role of flexible working models and also talking about the importance of managing employee mental health. And of course, right now, we face a reality to some degree planned, to some degree imposed where all three combine. And I just want to mention that aside from the podcast, I'm also the founder and CEO of a business development marketing communications consultancy called Streets Consulting. 13 years ago, when I set up the business, I did it as an entirely virtual business model. So all our consultants work from home. And one of the areas where I pay most attention generally, but most particularly now, more than ever before, is on the topic of mental health. So, Andy, many managers will be managing remote teams for the first time, and I'd love to really explore with you what people should be thinking about. So why don't we start with, um, tell us what you're focused on at MindApples, and for the benefit of the audience, just remind us what MindApples does. Thanks, Julia. Yes, it's it's, uh, it's quite a, a busy time for us as you can imagine i think i think for a lot of us we're just sort of running at, at full pelt uh, but particularly so because what what mind apples does we are at our at our core a public health organization and uh, so we we have two sides to our business we're we're a social business which um, does charitable and commercial work and my time has been divided really between the the two sides trying to on the commercial side be of use to our clients and of course to try and make sure that my team are safe and that we're, we're we're still able to operate and so we've been doing a lot of work reaching out to clients and just trying to make useful offers and um providing webinars mainly because a lot of people have been sent home and we're sort of trying to keep everybody connected and so we've been doing a lot of uh, webinar programs on productivity and resilience and changing habits those kinds of of themes uh, but then on the charitable side trying to think how can we be of use in this time of crisis because we don't want to be a, a health organization that just sits on our hands or worries about ourselves we're supposed to be outward facing and looking at how we can support people and it's a particular challenge for us because a lot of the charitable work we've done in the last year has been on schools and of course now that schools are closed we're trying to figure out how we can still support uh, teachers parents uh, children who who haven't got that support structure, which is is quite difficult, and also talking to a lot of people, particularly in London, about how we can support frontline health workers, and so it's, it's a lot going on. But um, I suppose we've been finding it's it's quite good to be feeling like working in public mental health, trying to help everybody to manage their minds, trying to increase our knowledge and awareness about how we can maintain good health and, and well-being in the population is it feels very relevant it feels like we we've got into the you know things that are useful and we have something to offer which has been very good for my mind over the last couple of weeks and and i think you know contributions like that are more welcome really than ever before because when you think about it you know there's a there's a normal working state but we're all watching the news we're all hearing the updates uh, our home uh, working lives have shifted. You know, I've done more conference calls recently with, you know, technologists with children on their knees 
for example, clients with uh, with children running around, uh, and you know, and actually that's that's created. Uh, additional pressure that's, uh, that's re- reveals itself in different ways, you know, whether that's anxiety or stress, or e- actually some people who thrive in those, those environments as well. But, but so, so let's start with. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the advice you'd give to individuals to manage um, their sort of emotional and day to day reactions to what's happening in these current times. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's obviously different pressures for different people. So it's 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 going to be quite personal to everybody some some of our clients are just trying to figure out how to support their workforce um, with working from home others are not sure if they're going to be able to keep trading so it's it's a, a pretty mixed bag and if, so I, th- I think I, to give some general thoughts on on what we can do to manage our minds in the face of all this I suppose what one, one thing to bear in mind is that a lot of us are feeling quite afraid at the moment and my kind of my feeling on fear is that it is actually intended to be helpful so that that fear loop is designed to keep us safe and a lot of the time we talk about it as if it's getting in the way because life isn't generally very dangerous in the western developed world at least Um, but at the moment we do actually have some things that are legitimately frightening for us and so a lot of it's about trying to identify when that fear response is helping i've certainly found that alertness that feeling of attention to what might possibly be going wrong in the future trying to get ahead of the curve anticipate what might be happening is really useful the the, the trick is to try and distinguish when the fear is actionable, when you're able to do something on the basis of it, or if it's simply adding to the the feeling of powerlessness. And so a, lo- a lot of the things I've been putting my attention on have helped me. Um, but I've certainly found uh, that I, I've, so over the last over the last ten days, I've um, been experiencing. Uh, my wife and I both have been experiencing something that we think is probably the virus, but obviously we don't know. And it's been helpful to look at symptoms and look at following it all through and know how I can look after myself. But then there were points where I found myself just looking at stories of people who are very ill and feeling powerless and feeling afraid. And so it's about noticing when that fear response is kicking in and and becoming destructive um, rather than when it's being helpful. So that would be one thing I'd say. A, a second thing is to know the, the relationship between your thoughts and your feelings to notice that there's nothing particularly wrong with feeling bad feeling fearful uh, feeling angry it's simply that what it's doing is filtering your attention to notice problems and threats things that you need to do something about which is really useful but it's worth just remembering that positive states of mind help you to notice possibilities opportunities things to explore and so if you spend a lot of time in that state of feeling fearful feeling threatened feeling stressed then it can make the whole world seem threatening and stressful and it can be quite good to just notice where there are feedback loops coming in if your if your emotional state is affecting your perception filtering the world so that it, you're missing things i suppose and and that's that's kind of good point to to notice is when there's that looping effect so for me it's a bit about trying to acknowledge that i'm afraid and that i'm angry about things and that i have good days and bad days and to just bear in mind that what my mind is noticing is not the full picture and that I can't completely trust everything that I think. And that distancing can be really helpful for just getting a bit of a a gap. I suppose my third piece of advice uh, is that uh, a lot of what's helped me is focusing on what I can do uh, rather than what I can't. And uh, when we get stressed, particularly or start to panic, um, we get 
blinded to our resources, our assets, the people who might help us, the skills that we have to call on, and that can make problems feel even more unmanageable. And so that that spiraling effect of forgetting our resources, missing out on things that that might actually be good solutions, can can make even, things even worse. And I found it very helpful to try and look outward and say, okay, never mind whether I'm okay right now. What can I do that is of use? And what skills do I have? What what assets could I call on? How can I be of service to other people? And that's partly just a, a good thing for us all to do at the moment. But it's also, I found, a very good way of reorientating my mental focus onto assets and possibilities rather than just looking at threats all the time. Because otherwise, I think I would have been and have been at various points felt quite overwhelmed by it all. But it'll be different for everyone. I just I offer those three three things to think about. But if you find yourself worrying about whether you're doing all those three things, then uh, that will just add to your worries. So also be kind to yourself. And, and of course, it's an interesting, uh, interesting uh, reality. Some people are uh, involved deeply in familial circumstances. So all of a sudden, they're, they're operating with many, many people around them. And, and some people are on their own. Uh, you know, uh, without so their loved ones by their side, uh, doing everything across remote platforms as well. Interested in your thoughts, uh, particularly for those who are on their own, is any particular recommendations you'd make to them about how to be very mindful of those three, uh, those three key points you were talking about, you know, fear and the relationship to thoughts and feelings, and then also focusing on what you can do. Yeah, it's certainly isolation is a, is a theme coming up. It's completely different, as you say, for, for different people. Some people are finding they're overstimulated. They're bombarded by, by too many people either at home or virtually, and others are kind of grateful for the connection. And I think part of it is about realizing that we don't necessarily need people physically with us all the time. It's about knowing that they're there and connected and care. So finding ways to just remind yourself that there are people who care, that there are people that you care about, just any kind of distant connections can still be really helpful. And quite a good example of, of, of how that seems to work is that there's been a lot of talk for years about whether the internet is disconnecting us, whether it's getting in the way of our, our relationships or our, our spending time with each other. And of course, there, there are elements of that. But the, the recent uh, uh, UK Attitude Survey found that people with the internet seem to feel a lot less isolated and lonely than people without the internet. So it's even just being able to see stories online, you know, follow forums, Twitter, you know, hear people talking, that feeling of being part of a wider community, a wider tribe can be really, really helpful. The thing that's very difficult is, of course, I don't know whether people are isolated because they just can't physically get to people or whether they're feeling generally like no one is checking on them and that that can be a lot harder but i definitely think that that feeling of a, a higher cause a, a broader community seems to be really helpful for people that it's not necessarily always just about you know a one-to-one -one connection but that feeling of belonging that feeling that we're all in this together and from that perspective i find the internet really helpful to that, that feeling a lot of the people particularly that i follow on twitter are sharing really useful information trying to be helpful I've got a lot of whatsapp groups and chat groups going on with people who are trying to share resources trying to solve problems for each other and so anything you can do to get involved in a wider community i would say though that there's nothing wrong with wanting to be on your own and actually sometimes being able to say i'm going to use this opportunity to just you know 
think about what I want, to do things that I feel are me, and to, to resist the feeling that you're missing out just because you're not constantly logged on to a Zoom call with everybody. And there's although there's a lot of studies that suggest that loneliness and isolation are very bad for us, in fact, there, there are studies that link loneliness to similar kind of um, uh, health problems to smoking, obesity, and alcoholism. There's, it really seems that we need people around us. There is There was a study that suggests one of the counters to that is you can dilute some of those effects of feeling a bit lonely and isolated if you live in a way that's really true to your values, to the things that you like and enjoy. So a lot of it is about going in, we're trying to figure out well, what, what do you want to do if, if, if there's no one around, then what can you do that you couldn't do before? Um, but I, 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 it's not necessarily going to be um, easy for us to suddenly flip into this mode. It's going to take some adjustments. So again, I'd say if you feel like you're struggling with it, then don't worry. A lot of it's just our minds and our routines catching up with the new reality and trying to figure out what what does make us feel happy, what does allow us to feel resilient to keep going. And we're not going to have it all figured out on day one. And from, from a leadership perspective, one of the things I think about at the moment I'm particularly active in is, is the point you made actually within that was about the importance of having people checking in. And I've been talking to my team. Um, I mean, I, one of one of the one of the best practices of managing remote teams is actually the importance of checking in with people, uh, as indeed you would do in, a, in an office environment as well, but particularly remotely, which is having a culture of checking in on each other and then also communicating probably no, more than you than you naturally would do. Um, so, as as, uh, as a leader of a business, I've been very actively checking in with people and uh, being very mindful, actually, which is interesting with what you just said there about uh, behaviours, is about different people's personality types and observing how personality types um, adapt and change under circumstance, certain circumstances, for example, now under increased stress as well. Um, let, let's turn the conversation to as leaders of businesses now running remote teams, having probably never done that before. Love to hear your, your thoughts and advice on what they should be paying attention to. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? This, this idea of different personalities responding in different ways. I think uh, my, my wife joked last week that the introverts will all live. Uh, this, this is how, uh, how it will divide now. The people who are good at, at staying in are now the, the, the model for everyone. Uh, I think there's, there's something interesting in how to manage diverse groups of different personalities when you can't see people because i think a lot of this stuff is instinctive and um, many many leaders that I, I know are instinctively just naturally quite good at these things and haven't necessarily unpicked it and thought how am i doing that and and how can i do that over a different form and what, one of the big problems we have is that it's it's not that um communication is is you know 95 percent non-verbal that's kind of there's various stats that get thrown around like that um uh, actually it's more about emotion that that, it, that is non-verbal uh, the, the experiments that dates back to albert morabian's experiments in the 1970s and they weren't looking at communication they were looking at emotional transference and uh, what they found is that actually how uh, you feel about someone and how you assess what how you think they're feeling whether you believe them seems to be only about seven percent down to the words and the rest is tone of voice and and body language nonverbal cues so that gets stripped away when you're just looking at emails or text messages and we need to almost artificially fill in the blanks so it can lead to some quite 
clumsy conversations where people are trying to express emotion or inquire about people's emotional states, but we haven't quite got the language for it. But the intention's good because it's trying to fill that gap that would otherwise be done by smiling at each other or saying hi or even, dare I say, handshakes. Remember those? Um, and so I, I think a couple of things I'd say about just like trying to trying to manage teams. One thing is that what I've been noticing is um, a, a desire to communicate for fear that if people are left to their own devices, that they'll just sort of crumble. And it's not necessarily the case that people need constantly, you know, checking in, you know, talking, reminding of things. I think a lot of the time what people need is clarity about what they need to do and when the next check-in is, and then to feel okay about disconnecting and getting on with things. And I've sensed a lot of fatigue over the last uh, week or two, partly due to people building new habits. It obviously is tiring to, to reorientate your whole routine but a lot of it is just people feeling always on the number of people who feel like they're just not not simply working at home but having to constantly stare at their computer you know make, make sure they don't miss a message be on video all the time it's it's very full on um because it requires conscious attention to do that it's not that we just have the video on in the background and everybody's just working around it so i think a lot of it is about asynchronous communication if you're checking in with people do it via whatsapp via messages via yammer whatever tools you've got and don't be worried if someone doesn't respond immediately because we're in danger of creating a culture which is like um like email culture but but squared where uh, everybody is sending messages and waiting to see whether someone replies within 10 seconds and so we're constantly all wired into the network and actually a lot of it's about being able to say i'm going i'm you know i'm going dark for a few hours don't worry about me i'm fine <laughs> you know so I think a lot of this is like the opportunity. The thing I like about working from home, um, which I've done a lot, is that I can do deep, focused work. I can concentrate on things immersively for a few hours and then resurface and start doing emails or attending to things. And so having some kind of sensitivity to, you know, how do you check in with people in a way that doesn't interrupt their focus or demand that they're paying attention to the organization rather than what they're supposed to be doing. Um, that would be my, my sort of first instinct about it at the moment as I, as I see the culture evolving. And essentially, that completely chimes with the feedback I've been having from from talking to many, many, many people over the last uh, sort of week, 10 days, which is people being bombarded from multiple channels. It's like it's sort of increased almost more um, and, and just trying to help people carve out. I'm just repeating and echoing completely what you said about how, how to manage that process as well. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you're spending time with employees, that some people are naturally happy working remotely and others simply struggle. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a perfect leader. And if I reflect on the 13 years of running my company, we haven't always got that right. And one thing that really struck me, particularly recently, is the journey between somebody really doing very well and actually struggling, struggling to perform is remarkably short. And we've had a couple of people who have just said, yeah, actually, this isn't the environment for me. It's not the structure for me. And surprised as I am that anybody would not want to work at Streets Consulting, it is uh, obviously the right decision. But that's something that I'm particularly paying attention to. And the big question I'm asking my team at the moment, how will I know if you're not doing well? Because I get it, right? I'm, I'm the boss. You won't want to talk to me about everything. But how will I know? If you're not doing well and to have that kind of open conversation between me and the team that says, I, you now know, I need to know. 
And uh, and I'm very intrigued to hear your response, which uh, is yours to give uh, and mine to take away. But once we've done that, we've essentially sort of engaged in a in a very open contract, if you like, which is it needs to be flagged. You now know it needs to be flagged to me, however you prefer to do that. Um, and, and what I found is actually that the response to that has been incredibly warming uh, and encouraging. And it's kind of made people feel... Uh, I believe that uh, that actually somebody's really paying attention to how how they're doing. L- love to get your response to that um, because I may be doing the wrong thing. Uh, and also thoughts on 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 other key questions or other things we should be particularly thinking about right now that we might not necessarily have done before. Yeah, I certainly don't think you're doing the wrong thing. Don't worry, um, and and it wouldn't be for me to say so anyway because I think it is about relationship. Most of the, the kind of what we know about management is it, it's not a simple kind of one size fits all. It's about whether there's a good fit between the leader and their team. And so a lot of this is about, you know, people self-selecting in and out of roles and, and types of working that, that, that work for them. And, and that's okay. A lot of it, I think, is about trying to pick apart the things that are, um, the ways we work because that's what the business needs versus the ways we work because that's what I as a leader instinctively end up wanting to do and and so trying to decide to that we're doing things in the culture because it helps the work rather than because everybody needs to be of the same mind or the same personality and um, so there is there are studies for example that suggest introverted leaders lead introverted teams well and vice versa and so actually you know if you've got somebody who's very extroverted and they're, they're managing a team of people who are quite introverted it doesn't work but it's not that there's anything wrong with that leadership style it's just about how do you tailor it to suit the range of people that that are working with you and we we talked a lot last time uh, I was on the show about, about neurodiversity and a lot of it's about that sensitivity to trying to figure out how as a leader you can work in a way that suits the individuals in your team, which may be different for each person. It may be that what your job is, is to remember, oh, that person doesn't like constantly being on video. That person prefers, you know, a bit more detail. That person likes to be praised. That person just likes to know they've got a, a target to hit. You know, it's that, that stuff is, is, is the work, I think. Um, but a lot of what I think you're describing, I, I would call it psychological safety. And it's a theme that we we push a lot when we do work with organizations to uh, encourage and challenge managers to try and figure out how to make everybody feel safe to feel however they want to feel and to express what they really think, uh, which is important for a number of things. Partly it helps very much with identifying if people are struggling and getting you know, support early. It also helps with things like creativity, because if um, if people feel free to share what they really think, you get a more wide-ranging and diverse set of ideas and lots of studies on the benefits of um, diversity uh, uh, and sort of multifunctional teams, people with different backgrounds, qualifications for boosting creative thinking. Uh, actually, it, you can you can only really harness the benefits of that diversity if you create a culture where it's okay to be different, where it's, it's actually seen as a benefit that people have got different views to bring and different ideas. So I would say keep doing that, but also try and figure out 
out what else you can do to make people feel okay to share what's really on their minds and talk about what's going on for them. Recognizing that people may not want to, you know, that's part of safety as well is don't pry. You don't need to know whether people are feeling miserable today. You just need to know whether it's going to affect their, you know, things they have to do, the, the thing, their welfare. Um, but it, it's, it's, yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of it is about trying to figure out what you can do, um, to, to help people feel that they can bring the whole of their mind to work. And I think a lot of that rapid spiraling often comes from people feeling not only that they're not happy, but that it's, uh, it's not okay to feel unhappy. And so therefore they shouldn't be in the community or the, the, the organization that they have to take themselves out when in fact it might be fine for them to be unhappy. Maybe other people are unhappy and them, them talking to you about it might mean you could improve the way that the organization works. And of course, from a leadership perspective as well, which is if you talk to me about it, there's, there are things I can invariably do to help. Yeah. You know, there, there are adjustments that can be made. There are conversations that can be had. There are structures that can be put in place. So it's, it is important to do that. But while you were talking, you know, kind of an expression just comes to mind. Uh, but it's, it's easily bandied around, uh, about emotional intelligence and, uh, you know, emotional, uh, or EQ and empathetic leadership. Is, is that essentially what you're driving at in terms of leadership qualities and muscles that need to be flexed now more than ever before? Yeah, it's interesting. The, the, these different terms that become popular at different times. So staff engagements had sort of its time in the sun and well-being as its go as well. And emotional intelligence is a, is a classic one of that. And I, I, we, we certainly talk about emotional intelligence in all of our training and, and it's a, it's a useful kind of routine, I think, for a lot of people into this. Um, I suppose a couple of things I'd say about this. One, one thing is that uh, sort of technical terminology uh, that can be quite helpful is the distinction between empathy empathizing and mentalizing that uh, empathizing with people is feeling a connection to their experiences sensing what it might be like for you know to to be in their shoes but it doesn't necessarily explain their feelings so feeling sad because someone is sad does not necessarily give you insight into why they're sad so little kids are quite empathetic they they get you know sad when you feel sad but they have no idea why they get excited because you're excited but they don't know what they're excited about and then over the years we learn to mentalize which is to accurately interpret what's going through someone's mind and relate that to their behavior and that's probably closer to what we think of as emotional intelligence and the term i often use for it is not so much intelligence because people sometimes think it means a kind of innate brain power uh, but a, a emotional literacy i find quite a helpful term for it because it's a bit like learning to read it's about getting better at understanding why you do things why the things that pass through your mind are there and what how to make sense of them and then from that to be able to get a bit of better sense of why someone might be reacting the way that they are to try and understand the variances in people's responses and interests and sensitivities and it's all slightly guesswork it is about trying to fill in blanks and read between the lines so you have to hold it lightly and be prepared to be wrong but certainly i think as we get better at being leaders and generally as as people as you know and spend more time in in relationships we start to learn okay that that person's angry with me but it's not it's not me it's because of the call they were just on and i just need to let them calm down and oh this person is actually upset because i've done something wrong and i need to adjust my behavior and that can help to separate the the noise from the really important signals of what actually needs to be actioned because otherwise we can end up obsessing about trying to fix things that actually maybe what people need was just to you know 
have a cup of tea, take a day out, sleep a bit better, and and then the problem vanishes. So, yeah, I think I think practicing our skills of mentalization and our emotional literacy is a very good thing to be doing at the moment. Uh, I can't believe how time just disappears. I mean, it's incredible. We've been, we've been talking for, for nearly half an hour about this. And, and genuinely, I, I have a million and one other questions that I would love to explore with you as well. Um, I suppose I suppose to bring it to, to, a, to a natural conclusion for, for now, and it won't be the last time we talk about this, I'm sure. Um, we've got to stay connected, you see. Everyone must constantly be connecting. Well, well it's interesting because when, when you started out, you were talking about how you're, you're, you're giving um giving away to other people right so, so you've actually out it's the outreach of, of saying what can i do for you and what can i do for others and then putting others before you which which i'm hearing more and more is is of course one of the the wonderful things that's happening at the moment love to uh, just to wrap us up at the end of the show just your thoughts on positive uh positive behaviors and and positive activities that uh, give you great hope for optimism yeah, it's it's um, it's certainly been a an interesting moment for seeing who steps up. We're we're already seeing online, particularly the kind of the stories emerging of employers that have responded by being generous and helpful and offering discounts to NHS workers and keeping all their staff safe. And versus other uh, employers who shall remain nameless, who may not have perhaps risen to the challenge as much. And so I think I think a lot of this is about noticing how many of these stories there are of people who have their own free will have said well actually i want to try and do the right thing i want to try and keep people on payrolls i want to try and you know keep paying subcontractors which of course i think is very important at the moment because we're still not you know quite sure if this is all going to be you know the support will be evenly distributed so anything we that people can do to um to keep those those lines flowing seems to be very very helpful and 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 also i think the internet is a very interesting beast at the moment because it gets a bit of a bad rep and a, lo- a lot of time people are saying that this sort of the twitter feedback loop and the kind of the the, the hysteria on social media is causing a lot of problems but uh, it, it depends where you look and what i've found actually has, has been that the internet has been an incredibly useful source of knowledge of fact checking of support of stories of people trying to encourage the positive behaviors that they want to see and this is the first time we faced a, a global pandemic whilst having a really good internet connectivity. Of course, it's not everywhere, but certainly amongst the, the countries that are most affected at the moment, we have a lot more connectivity and the capacity of research teams to share data. There are volunteering projects popping up of people with scientific skills taking on tasks for researchers who are working on vaccines and drug treatments, the speed with which um, possible options are being shared. There's an open source ventilator project that's coming in, in, in Oxford. There's lots of people talking about donating masks. I've been witnessing all kinds of supply chains being set up of people who've got things that are needed, trying to get them to the place that they're, they're useful. And we wouldn't have been able to do that 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So I think what we're witnessing is a very different kind of immune response where because we are so connected together to share information and, and, in, and emotions as well, that we are as a collective human body responding in a very different way to this threat and we'll see whether it leads to a radically different way of approaching epidemics or whether it simply just allows us to find that breakthrough that changes everything but i'm certainly feeling that um the people that i'm following the people that i see and and talking to the clients that we have and the charities we're trying to support there's just 
millions and millions of really wonderful people all working flat out to try and keep us safe and solve this problem. And it's an amazing time to be alive, though, of course, as the old Chinese curse goes, may you live in interesting times. What a very positive way to to end this uh, this episode in our special mini series, Andy. Thank you so much, uh, I, head gardener of Mind Apples. Uh, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, and um, just uh, it's really nice to be here and to, to also just reiterate what I was saying at the start. If there are anyone, any people listening to this who work for large charities, healthcare groups, um, public service, uh, you know, schools, education who need help and want to support, particularly the health of their staff, the well-being of people that they're working with, then uh, do do get in touch. Drop us a line through the website mindapples.org, and we will we will do our very best to try and offer some support in the current uh, crisis. Andy, thank you. Thank you so much. As always, to all our listeners on Diversity Podcast, thank you for listening. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com. And that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. It really helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.